0: This morning, we are going to look at Daniel chapter 9, and uh, you can just turn there in your Bible. Daniel 9 is uh, really a key prophetic passage in all of the Bible, and it's also one of the most precise prophetic passages in all of the Bible. You know, there's many, many uh, uh, prophetic things that God gave where He tells what's going to happen, but it's not it's not always very clear when it's going to happen or, you know, some of those things. But here in in Daniel nine we have a prophetic passage that not only tells what is going to happen, it also gives a lot of a lot of time periods. Okay? And uh, it also turns out to be a passage that is very verifiable uh it's it's one where you can figure out what the what the dates are and what the starting points are and what the ending points are uh it's it's probably because of this passage in uh, Daniel chapter nine that the Book of Daniel is such a controversial book because there's a lot of people who want to take the Book of Daniel and push its date you know they want to make it make it uh, written much later than what it was really written so that they can take a lot of the prophetic things and say they weren't really prophetic they were just historical. They were just recorded after the fact. Um, and the book of Daniel is a, a, very, um, controversial book. It's, uh, you know, there's all kinds of, all kinds of, uh, criticism of the book of Daniel. But, uh, here in Daniel 9, you see it says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by books the number of the years, Whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish seventy years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So, here is Daniel. Daniel is, uh, there now, now in the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians, right? Daniel is uh, an influential person in Babylon, but even after the fall of Babylon, he continues on into the, that next kingdom. And, uh, Daniel is not just you know, sitting around waiting for a revelation from the Lord. Certainly he received a lot of revelations from the Lord. But what is he doing? He's got the Word of God out, things that have been written previously, and he is studying the Word of God. And so he comes to understand some things. He's going to be given further revelation here in the passage. But where he begins understanding some things is he goes to the written Word of God. And he says specifically that he is... is uh um, Reading, he said he understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet. Alright, so, uh, to the, to the Bible student, when you read something like that, that should be a cue to you. I need to go into Jeremiah and I need to figure out what Daniel's talking about. Uh, where in Jeremiah did it talk about the number of the years? What, you know, what, what's that a reference to? And, uh, that passage that he's referring to is in Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah 25 and verse 1 says, The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that was the first year of Nebuchadrezzar, king of Babylon, the which Jeremiah the prophet spake unto all the people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Saying from the thirteenth year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even unto this day, that is the three and twentieth year, the word of the Lord hath come unto me. And I have spoken unto you, rising early and speaking, but ye have not hearkened. And uh, Jeremiah calls on, on the people to repent. And he warns them of what is to come. And if you come down to verse, uh, look at, look at uh, verse 9. He says, "Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north," saith the Lord, "and Nebuchadrezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring him against this land and against the inhabitants thereof, and against all these nations round about, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and in hissing and perpetual desolations. Moreover, I will take from them." the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the candle, and this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon seventy years. Verse 12, And it shall come to pass when seventy years are accomplished that I will punish the king of Babylon, and that nation, saith the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans, and will make it perpetual desolations. And I will bring upon that land all my words which I have pronounced against it, even all that is written in this book which Jeremiah prophesied against all the nations. For many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of them also, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and according to the works of their own hands. Now, uh, so Daniel, back in Daniel 9, that's... That's, uh, the passage that he's referring to, and he's studying in the book of Jeremiah, and he sees that there's this prophecy about 70 years. And Daniel starts to count up the years, and he realizes they're, they're, uh, close to the end of those 70 years. Uh, you've already seen Babylon. He, uh, the Lord said that, that nations would serve themselves of him, of Babylon. You've already seen Babylon defeated by the Medes and the Persians. And, uh, Daniel realizes they're at the end of that time, and he begins to pray to the Lord. Okay, Daniel knows that some some big change is coming. Uh, certainly Daniel saw a lot of change in his life, right? he Daniel originally, Daniel uh, was born in the land of Israel. He's taken from there to Babylon, and now here he is, an old man. And he's looking forward to that time when they're going to go back to Israel, right, at the end of the 70 years. And, and so he begins to pray. Now, uh, certainly, Jeremiah, he says, he says he understood the number of years by Jeremiah. But you see, he said he understood by books. It's not just the book of Jeremiah that he's looking at. He's he's reading other things in the scripture. And I think probably uh, another passage of scripture that would have figured into uh, some of Daniel's thinking here is in Leviticus chapter 26. And I want you to go back there and we'll look at some things in leviticus twenty six uh quickly before we continue on in in daniel nine uh leviticus twenty six we're not going to look at the whole chapter uh i mean you could do a whole series of lessons here out of leviticus twenty six but leviticus twenty six god as as israel is uh uh Preparing to go into the land, uh, the Lord gives them these warnings, and, and really, in a way, God lays out the history of Israel in advance. Uh, Leviticus 26 sometimes is not treated by people as a prophetic passage, but it certainly is. And there's these various courses of judgment that are described. Uh, if you just just you know run down through through the chapter quickly. Uh, you see, the Lord reminds them at the beginning of chapter 26 not to make idols, not to uh, worship false gods, to keep Sabbaths, to reverence his sanctuary. And then in verse 3, he has a promise. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season. The land shall yield or increase. He goes on to describe all the blessings that will come to them if they keep his statutes. Now, uh, we know because the Israelites were sinful man, like we are sinful man, they were not able to keep God's statutes. And in addition to describing the blessings that would come upon them, the Lord also describes, starting in verse 14, He says, but if ye will not hearken unto me and will not do all these commandments, and if ye shall despise my statutes or if your soul abhor my judgments, so that ye will not do all my commandments, but that ye break my covenant, I also will do this unto you. Now this whole, this whole thing is a series of if-thens, right? If you obey my word, then I'm going to do these things for you. If you don't obey my word, then I'm going to do these things to you. And there, so verse 16 he describes, describes some things he's going to do. Verse 18 says, if ye will not yet for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. And then he adds some more punishment. And then verse 21, Uh, He says, if ye walk contrary unto me and will not hearken unto me, I will bring seven times more plagues upon you according to your sins. And then he adds some more things. Verse 23, the same thing. If ye will not be reformed by me, by these things, but will walk contrary unto me, then I also will walk contrary unto you. Now, you know, if you you, uh, look at this passage in detail, you see the progression here. You know, first of all, the Lord says just this is what I'm going to do. Uh, Then he says, I'm going to walk contrary to you. And when you get down to verse 27, he says, if ye will not for all this hearken unto me, but walk contrary unto me, then I will walk contrary unto you also in fury. And each, each time there he says, I'm going to punish you seven times more for your sins and you can take these punishments that are described here, and you can take the history of Israel recorded in the Bible and you can see where where they began, where that next punishment was put upon Israel. And there's these courses of, of judgment described uh here in, in Leviticus twenty six. And I and I don't know about you, but if there's anything worse than God walking contrary to you, it's God walking contrary to you in fury. That's where it ends up, right? I mean not just that he's contrary to them that's bad enough but but he's going to walk contrary to them in fury but uh he and, and this passage also describes the Babylonian captivity he talks about bringing the land into desolation uh starting in verse 32 uh he talks about how they will be scattered among the heathen they'll be they'll be taken out of the land and he describes that that captivity but verse 40 is really where I wanted to get to because you notice what it says after describing that, that time period that here Daniel lived through, this captivity. Verse 40 says, If they shall confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their trespass, which they trespassed against Me, that also they have walked contrary unto Me, and that I also have walked contrary unto them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised hearts be humbled, and they then accept of the punishment of their iniquity. Then will I remember my covenant with Jacob and also my covenant with Isaac and also my covenant with Abraham will I remember and I will remember the land. And uh, he describes then how he would bring them back into the land. And uh, but But I want you to notice what it requires on the part of Israel. I mean, all of these punishments are not... Just God you know relieving his anger or whatever, they're designed to get Israel to repent, and you see what he says they have to confess. Now to confess here, uh, the word confess" means literally to say the same as. It's essentially to to agree with God in this case, to confess sin would be to agree with God about your your sinful state. And here Israel is called on to confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers. So they're they're to confess the iniquity, not just to say our fathers sinned. That was the kind of thing that the Pharisees did. And remember how Jesus said that uh, you know their fathers killed the prophets, and and um, he he said you know they were the children of those that killed the prophets, and they would talk about their fathers' sins as if that didn't apply to them. They had to confess their iniquity, that that they had iniquity. They had to confess their father's iniquity. All right. So it wasn't enough just to say, OK, our nation has sinned against God historically. They had to realize that they were still in sin and that they had sinned historically against God. Uh, and he says with their trespass, which they trespassed against me, says they have to confess that also they have walked contrary unto me and that I also have walked contrary unto them. And so the, the idea was that they had to acknowledge that these bad things that had happened to them, the punishments that had come upon them, the captivity they had been taken into, it wasn't just random historical events. It was the result of their actions. They walked contrary to God, resulting in God walking contrary to them. These things didn't just happen. God brought them on them for a purpose. And um that's a that can you know that can be a difficult thing to acknowledge. You can imagine. I mean it would be easy to think uh oh, you know, um just woe is me, these other nations somehow got stronger than us and, and these things happened, but not assign any purpose to it. It's a different thing to say, we deserved all of this. God brought it on us. He, he caused it because we walked contrary to Him. And that's what He, that's what he calls on them here to uh, confess and, and to repent. They're to be humbled uh, and they are to accept the punishment of their iniquity. Not, not just they acknowledge that God has punished them, but to say, we deserve the punishment. God was right. Uh, this isn't some, some uh, unjust thing that God has caused to come on us. Uh, we don't need to, to, you know, blame, blame God in the sense of thinking he's being unfair or whatever, but to accept the punishment. Say, this was what we deserved. Right? That's what he calls on Israel to do there, here in, in Leviticus 26, after that captivity, that'll result in God remembering the covenant, bringing them back into the land and, and bringing blessing on them again. Uh, now, this end part of Levit- Leviticus 26 really is not finally fulfilled until you get to the second coming of Christ and the, the bringing in, in of the kingdom. But in Daniel, I want you to notice what, what Daniel does here in Daniel 9. So, Daniel understands the years. He looks at the calendar. He sees where he's at in, in the flow of history And he says in verse 3, I set my face unto the Lord God to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And notice what Daniel prays. He says, I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love Him and to them that keep His commandments. We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled, even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants the prophets, which spake in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Now uh, understand that the confession that is taking place here—it's not—it's not Daniel listing his sins and confessing them and asking God for forgiveness, right? This is—he's—he's he's confessing the sins of the nation, right? Um, you know, Daniel here. Was somebody who did listen to the prophets, right? He started this chapter by reading Jeremiah the prophet. But he's saying, we as a nation, we haven't listened to your prophets. We haven't obeyed your voice. Verse 7, O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us confusion of faces as at this day, to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and unto all Israel that are near and that are far off, through all the countries whither thou hast driven them, because of their trespass, that they have trespassed against thee. These things didn't just happen, Daniel says. You've driven Israel into these nations because of their trespass, which they trespassed against you. O Lord, to us belongeth confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong mercies and forgivenesses, though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in His laws which He set before us by His servants the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed Thy law even by departing that they might not obey Thy voice. Therefore the curse is poured upon us in the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against Him. Now I think here when he talks about the oath that is written in the law of Moses, um, he's probably referring to Leviticus 26. Right, He's referring to the fact that God said, if you don't obey, these are the things that are going to happen. And Daniel says, all those things have happened. And it was was just according to what God said was going to happen in the law of Moses. Verse 12, And he hath confirmed his words which he spake against us and against our judges, that judged us by bringing upon us a great evil, for under the whole heaven hath not been done as hath been done upon Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us, yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand thy truth. Therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in all his works which he doeth, for we obeyed not his voice. And now, O Lord our God, thou hast brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and hast gotten me renown as at this day, We have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all Thy righteousness, I beseech Thee, let Thine anger and Thy fury be turned away from Thy city Jerusalem, Thy holy mountain, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and Thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. Now therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of Thy servant and his supplications and cause Thy face to shine upon Thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear, open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses, but for thy great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake, O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Now, uh, this this is a great example of what the attitude of Israel was was to be right that that attitude you don't see any you know it always it always gets me when um, people you have, you have public people that are caught doing something they're not supposed to do, and they give an apology, and their apology uh you know almost always they will say, I'm sorry if you took offense at such and such <laughs> right now are they saying they're sorry they did it? No, they're saying they're sorry that you did something. Right? That's not an apology. That's not an apology for what I did. Right? Or they'll say, I'm, I'm sorry, but. You know, that, that kind of thing. This, this is really what, uh, when it comes to God, that kind of thing might, uh, might convince people, but it doesn't fly with God. You don't see any of that here with Daniel. He doesn't say, we've sinned, but. He doesn't say, uh, you know, we're, we're sorry that you took offense at our sin. He says, we're wicked and evil. We've sinned against you. We deserve everything we've gotten. And he doesn't bring up the the only the only uh, kind of thing where he mentions any kind of righteousness of his own is he says we don't ask, or he says I don't ask this for our own righteousnesses, but for your mercy. And and you know throughout Scripture when you see when you see man reasoning with God, and there are certainly times where God bargains with man. You think about Moses talking with God, and he and he bargains with God. You know the argument that. That works with God, the argument is this is for your own glory, not not because we're good or you know anything like that, it's for your glory. Now, you understand in any of those kind of bargaining arrangements, uh, God already knows the outcome when when uh, God talks with Moses there and that kind of thing when Moses says, when God says he's going to destroy Israel uh, when they're out in the wilderness because of their sin, Moses doesn't say. Oh, you know, they're kind of good. They're not, they're not bad enough to deserve your, your judgment. What he says is, he says, what are all these other nations going to think if you brought us out of Egypt just to destroy us in the wilderness, right? He appeals to, to God's own glory and, and his own uh, name, the reputation of his name. And Daniel does a little bit of that, uh, that here as well. Uh, but you see, he says it's for God's glory. He just appeals to God's mercy. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't try to present that there's anything good about Israel that ought to cause God to change what He's doing toward them. But he appeals to God's mercy, and and he appeals appeals to uh, the the glory that is due to Him. And so there you have Daniel's prayer, and it's really just a, a direct fulfillment. It's exactly what God said Israel was to do in Leviticus 26. Right. So he's Daniel's putting these things together, and he, and he knows what uh, he knows where they're at. In history, verse 20, it says, And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. You see, Daniel realizes that he is close to a a point in history where God's going to be doing something different. For 70 years, he's been dealing with Israel in a certain way. They've been carried into captivity. The land has been, been in desolation. Daniel realizes that's about to change. And. Here, God responds to, to Daniel's prayer. Daniel isn't asking. He doesn't ask anywhere in his prayer for more revelation or more understanding. Um, he just, you know, prays based on the understanding he has there from Jeremiah. And but God is going to respond by giving him some more understanding. God's going to give Daniel some light about what's going to happen now. Uh, now that the 70 years are over, now that the, the desolation uh, is over, what's going to happen next? Now Daniel's already been given some information about some of those things but this is going to fill in a lot of detail. And so so uh, Gabriel comes. Now Gabriel is one of uh, there's really only only well I was going to say two there's only two holy angels that are named in scripture. They're Michael and Gabriel. Uh you have another another angelic being which is Lucifer. That's also named in scripture. But, uh, Michael and Gabriel are are mentioned in scripture. Both of them are mentioned here in Daniel as well. Uh, and Gabriel, when Gabriel appears, he's always coming with some kind of a message. You know, Michael, when you see Michael the archangel, he's always fighting with somebody. Okay? But Gabriel is a a messenger. He says that that, uh, it's the man Gabriel that he had seen in the vision at the beginning. Now, earlier in Daniel, uh, he's not—he's not named Gabriel. It doesn't give his name, but it's—it's it's, uh, an angel that Daniel has seen previously. But uh, Gabriel is described as as being the one that stands in the presence of God, and uh, Gabriel is the one that sent, for instance, to the father of John the Baptist uh, to to uh, inform him about John and and who John was going to be and what his birth would signify. Uh, it's Gabriel that goes to Mary and talks about the uh, the birth of the Lord. Right? So Gabriel's always coming with some message from God. And it's Gabriel that's sent here to Daniel. And verse 22 says, He informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision.'" And verse 24, now this is the, the, the real meat of the chapter. Uh, it's it's uh, really not a very long prophetic passage, but it has a lot of information because it's very detailed. It's very precise. He says, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. And uh, the, the, the title of the message today is the 70 weeks. So Daniel had been reading in Jeremiah about a period of 70 years. Now Gabriel comes and tells him about a period of 70 weeks. You have 70 years followed by 70 weeks. Verse 24. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now you think about all those things that are described there that are going to take place in these 70 years. He says 70, or 70 weeks. 70 weeks are determined to do all these things. Well, when is an end of sins made? When is reconciliation for iniquity in Israel's program, when is that complete? When is everlasting righteousness brought in? And when is the vision and prophecy sealed up, meaning it's, it's completed? Uh, and when is the Most Holy anointed? those are all things that that uh, take place. I mean, he's talking about the kingdom being brought in. He's talking about the second coming of Christ and the kingdom uh, being established, right? So this period of 70 weeks is going to, to end with the bringing in of the kingdom, really the fulfillment of all of Israel's prophecy, that kingdom that had been prophesied to Israel uh, all through their history. And... Verse 25, now he's going, to, he's going to split up that 70 weeks a little bit. It says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem, unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks, and threescore and two weeks. The streets shall be built again, and the wall, even in troublous times. And after threescore and two weeks shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself, and the people of the Prince that shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and under the end of the war desolations are determined. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abominations he shall make it desolate even until the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com.